All right. Uh, praise God. Anticipation. I sometimes want to start the uh, uh, microphone, turn the microphone on before the countdown is completely finished. So, But anyway, here we are again on a uh, beautiful uh, Wednesday afternoon here in Alabama. I know some of you are watching on the other side of the world, so it's probably already Thursday where you are, or let's see. Am I doing that backwards, Cornelius? Anyway, praise God. After all these years, I still can't get it straight. I just know it's a nine-hour time difference right now. So, But anyway, God is good. Amen. Are you blessed? I'm convinced we're doing better than we understand. We're doing better than we know. And um, But thank God we're finding out more about it, aren't we? Amen. And it's, it's uh, revolutionizing our life. I'm, I'm excited. Some of the folks in the room were talking about uh, going to be at Heritage on Sunday, and that's, that's an honor. And um, we're in the middle of a... Uh, of a study right now that deals with the way we look at things. And the Lord kind of snuck up on me with this particular uh, study because you know, I thought we would maybe talk about it part of a sermon and move on, you know. And I'm beginning to realize that it, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That, that was exactly what Satan told Adam and Eve. He said, look, if you do this, uh, your eyes will be opened. And um, he, he, was, he was telling a lie and the truth at the same time, and that's what the devil does. He, he tries to put as much truth in a lie and it still be a lie. And we see that their eyes were open, but it was not anything positive. Um, they began to see things in a different light. And, um, and obviously, uh, here we are all these many generations later still dealing with the fallout of all of that. But there was only one way to look at it in the Garden of Eden, and there's still only one way to look at it all these many years later, and that's God's way of looking at it. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, thankfully, we're going to get our focus uh, a little more refined tonight by the Word of God as, as we begin to see things not according to denominations, not according to religion. Uh, man, for some reason, I, I knew if I started talking about this, I'd want to keep talking about it. But, but what, what we see is, is that... Whatever we look to will become the lens we look through. Whatever we look to will become the lens we look through. And that's why we must look to God if we're going to look through the lens of heaven and see life and life on this planet as God intended. So think about that in in light of people who look to themselves. See, when you look to yourself, then you become the lens... (laughs) This is why people become so selfish, right? So this is one of the main tricks the enemy uses against us is he tries to get us to look at things uh, in a way other than God would have us to look at them. And so when it comes to the subject that we're on, part four uh, tonight, I'll put it back up on the screen, understanding the new birth, and we're going to talk about the completed work, part four, the completed work. Speaking of the completed work of Jesus, we see that there's a lot of different ways of looking at salvation. Some people think it's a figurative experience. Uh, Different denominations have different opinions or different ways of looking at it. But there's only one right way, amen, and that's what the Bible says. I'm not here to tell you what I think about it or what my opinion about it is. I, I want us to see what the Word of God has to say about it because His words contain his perspective, his way of looking at things is revealed to us in his word. And so I'm excited about kind of digging into some of these things. We, we've talked about them on different levels 
and from different angles. But tonight, um, we're going to look a little more at the power of seed, and then we're going to dig into, you know, what I consider to be the the raw materials, the the completed work of Jesus, which has provided the grounds, if you will, for our salvation. But, amen, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the opportunity, Father, to speak to these, your precious people, Father. Lord, thank you for feeding us tonight with your holy word and with the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the things that you have uh, given to me to give to them. Help me tonight, Father, only say what you would have me say. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives and among us. Father, that, that he is living and powerful just like your word is living and powerful. And he is here to lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you that um, you would correct any error that we may have believed, any wrong way of looking at things, Father, that, that we may have embraced along the way, along our journey, Father, to understand and know. And Lord, that, that we would see clearly tonight, clearly tonight, what it means to be a born-again man or woman, alive and well on planet Earth, seated together with you in heavenly places. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so let's, um, let's do this. I want to look at, well, I'll tell you what, before I do that, let's do a quick review, um, and literally a quick review. Uh, Jesus came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam, amen, and we've said the new birth is a literal experience. Seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. That's why Jesus said, what, you must be born again. We've also learned that we were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. And that word nature is important. That's why I have it in all caps right there. We see that um, this nature that we were born with uh, is because of sin that someone else committed. I'm not saying that we haven't committed sin, but we almost, I'm using this tongue-in-cheek, we almost have an excuse, right? We, somebody else's sin made us a sinner by nature, and so we sinned by reason, of course, until we were born again. Having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, we are now partakers of the divine nature. And we see these, uh, we've looked at many verses that support all of these points. I'm just trying to condense them down into simple statements that you can, you know, grab hold of and, and remember. But again, these aren't things that I came up with. All of these things are taken from the Word of God. And then we looked at it in Romans 5. It was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it was not your good works that made you righteous. It was Adam's sin that made us, by nature, sinners, and it was Jesus' obedience and having received His gift of righteousness that we have now been made righteous. And so last week we took the time to look at what the Scriptures say concerning seed and the power of seed. And we looked at a lot of different things. I'm not going to try to review all of that. But what we concluded, I think some of the main things that we, we came to conclusion of or the Scriptures come to a conclusion of for us is that the promise that was made to Abraham and Abraham's seed was not seeds, plural, but seed as of one with a capital S, meaning Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the heir. And because we are in Christ now, we are heirs uh, with faithful Abraham. One of my all-time favorite verses about seed, and we looked at it last week, but I'll put it up again. John chapter 12, verses uh, 23 and 24. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And we know that Jesus is referring to himself as the seed that was going to fall to the ground and die. But through his death, we now have been given new life. And then the last verse that we ended with uh, on last class was John chapter 1. And I only had uh, verses 12 and 13 uh, on the slide. And I went ahead and, and caught my error because I wanted, I wanted you to see this in the context of the verses that come before it. And it says this, Jesus, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, and that word right there, as we said last week, is the Greek word exousia, and it means authority, authority, we've been authorized. We didn't take this upon ourselves, it was something that was uh, given to us, he gave the right, he gave the authority to become children of God, not just to be called children of God. Uh, John addresses this in his epistle in 1 John. He says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And he says we should be called children of God because we have been made, we have become children of God. So he's given us the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born what? Of God. We've been born of God. We were born of water and we've been born of the Spirit. We've been born uh, from the earth and we bore the image of the earthly man, but now we've been born of God and we have opportunity to bear His image in this created realm. Now, Let's go to Galatians, the third chapter, and we'll begin at verse number 26. We have referenced these verses in previous classes, and we will do our best not to spend 30, 40 minutes on these verses because there's some very important truth here. But there's a couple of reasons that I'm wanting us to, uh, to look at this unrelated to other reasons while we have turned to these verses uh, in uh, previous classes. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There are some words that are used here that can be a bit misleading because when we see this word baptized into Christ, we tend to think of the actual physical ceremony where we are immersed underwater and then brought back out of the water. He's talking about something inward that we then give testimony to outwardly when we submit ourselves to the ceremony of water baptism. When he says that we are all sons of God, so let's, let's start back at the top, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And I know that 
this, how do I say this without, again, spending a whole great deal of time here. Even if you are of female gender, you are still in Christ a son of God. And this continues in our culture here in the United States today, and it's certainly a bigger part of other cultures around the world. And in the time of this writing, women were considered property. Um, you know that, like he gives these different characteristics. Okay, he says that there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. So let's let's say you were a free-born Jewish male. You know, you just you just hit the trifecta, right? I mean, Yahtzee, right? I mean, good good for you. Let's say you were a slave-born Greek female. Well, there was livestock in a pen out in the backyard that was considered to be more, more valuable than you. And, you know, for the record, Jesus has done more for women's rights, and I say that, you know, using today's terminology, uh, than any figure in, in human history. And I know sometimes folks don't understand that or think that, you know, Christianity is oppressive towards women and so forth and so on, and it just simply is not the case. Um, you know what what we see in scripture and we have to understand it not just from our present culture but what culture was in 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 their day for example uh, the first witness of Jesus's resurrection was a woman if you're making this story up in other words if they if they really stole his body and and hid him somewhere and and now are going to try to lie to the world and say that he has raised from the dead uh, when he you know, really has not, then again, no offense, you don't get a woman to be the, the eyewitness because they're not, they're not even going to let her come to court to testify. They, she, you, you understand what I'm saying here, okay? But yet God chose a woman. Amen. Come on now. God chose a woman to be the first eyewitness you know, testimony to his, uh, not just a, a woman, a woman that had uh, a very shady past, possessed with demons, so forth and so on. Amen. Uh, but again, she's redeemed, and, and, it's a, and it's a beautiful thing. So I know this is kind of challenging for some people to wrap their, their brains around, their minds around, but it, it's, it's similar for us guys when we're referred to as the bride of Christ. You know, it's like, well, well a bride, really? Are you kidding me? You know, um, it, but it's, that's a, uh, an earthly, fleshly way of, of trying to comprehend and, and process these things. What, what he's basically saying here is, um, ladies, you aren't left out of this. And he's saying that if you've been born a second time of an incorruptible seed, you now have an identity that supersedes and overrides all other socioeconomic, uh, genetic, gender, whatever. Um, you've, you've received an identity that puts you in a position above all other ways that someone could be or is identified uh, by people here on the earth. And that's, that's a very important point that he's making here. Now, when he talks about being baptized into Christ and having put on Christ, remember now, we were in Adam, okay? We are no longer in Adam if we've been born again. We are now in Christ. And this is the terminology that he's using that we have put on Christ. In the same way that you put on the shirt or the blouse that you're wearing right now, we, we are literally in him and we have put him on. And he says later in Ephesians that we are now growing up into Jesus in all things. 
to me, the imagery there is a, is a, is a small child that has slipped uh, his or her tiny feet into uh, dad's uh, big boots and kind of clonking around in them, right? Well, they're in the boots, but they're still growing, growing into those uh, boots. Amen. And so we are in Christ, and we are now growing up into him, the Bible says, in all things. So being baptized into Christ, he's talking about an experience that has forever marked us and changed us. So again, there are identity overtones here because when a child was was born and then brought to the temple and went through the ritual and uh, it was at that point that the child was named, right? So when he says we've been baptized into Christ and then goes into all these different ways that people are are identified and, you know, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, these kinds of things. He's saying that, that we've now received this greater identity of, of who we are and who we became in Christ Jesus. And so the scriptures teach about, for instance, the baptism of Moses. And it talks about that they, you know, they passed through the sea uh, with Moses well, no one got wet. They walked through on dry ground. None of the Israelites who followed Moses through the Red Sea on dry ground got you know, under the water, so to speak. But the Bible refers to that as a baptism because it was an experience that forever marked them and one by which they would forever be identified. So being baptized into Christ and having put on Christ means that we're now in Christ. And because we are in Christ and have been born a second time, we now have a new identity. We became something through the experience that we were not before. Now remember, that occurs where? At your spirit, in your spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Was your soul born again? No. Was your body born again? No. Your spirit was born again. This is where you become the new creation in Christ Jesus. All right. Now, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, was anticipating the questions that people would have. Because, you know, it's like, okay, if everything that you just spent three chapters, you know, in in the book of Galatians, uh, you know, revealing to us and explaining to us and and laying out for us, if all of that is true, then why am I still struggling in all these areas? If the blessing of Abraham has come upon me, if Jesus became a curse for me, all this is stuff we see in Galatians, right? That Jesus became a curse for you so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon even those who are not biological descendants of Abraham. And so he lays all this out going back into the Old Testament, showing us how it was all fulfilled in Jesus, how it's all now been given to you and me. And so the anticipated question is, okay, if all of that is true, then why am I still struggling here? And why is this still going on in my life? And why, you know, am I not able to pay my light bill? You know, if I could just make it in a 21st century terminology. And so that's what he goes into now in the next verse, which also happens to be a new chapter. Now I say, now I say, meaning what? I've said this, now I'm going to say something related to it. Now I say that the heir, what he just do? He took three chapters explaining to us that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus, that, that we are the seed of Abraham. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is, though he be, master or lord of all. Wow. Now this, again, is 
to me, an extremely important verse here because he's saying that if you're a born-again man or a woman, you're an heir of God. But as long as you're a child, anybody remember what child means? Well, you get the gold star if you could give me those three answers. All right, it means ignorant. Anybody remember now? Ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. Ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. So my grandson Samuel has the record for speaking, the first of, of my children and grandchildren, to speak on his own behalf. At 18 months, he actually ordered for himself at a, at a Mexican restaurant a couple of weeks ago. The, literally, everybody was given the order, and he looked at the waiter, and he said, Rice, please. Rice, please. Okay, so I'm like, man, what up? You know, anyway, um, so <laughs> the server's looking at him like, what in the world? You know, so got him some rice, though. It's what he wanted. It's what he likes. Anyway, um, so he's able to speak on his own behalf, right? Uh, compared to my son, I don't know how old he was. He was still, you know, like wanting somebody else to order for him. Not anymore, but, but that's a huge part of our growth and development, right? So, so he says, even though you're an heir, as long as you're ignorant, immature, and, una- and unable to speak on your own behalf, your life reality will be more like a slave, even though that's not who you are any longer, right? Paul said that when he was a child, he spoke like a child, he understood like a child, and he thought like a child. But when he became a man, he put away childish things. We're talking about a significant shift, right? So as long as you think, understand, and speak like a child, you're going to experience life as a child, okay? And what he's saying here is that the heir, as long as the heir thinks, understands, and speaks like a child, they're going to experience life as a slave instead of as one who is by God called to rule and reign in life, Man, I, this, I'm telling you, this is so important right here. And so, see, but what religion tells us, what religion tells us is, well, you must not be saved then. And I'm sure there were some people like, well, you know, if, you're, if, all, if what you're saying is true, Abraham, then it must not have took for me. I'm, I might need to go get saved again, you know, because I'm not experiencing all these things in my life reality. You know, so when, when is this abundant life part going to kick in? Because Jesus promised us life in overflowing abundance, right? And so it's like... Well, when is all that supposed to, you know, happen? Well, it's in you right now, new birth realities in us right now, becoming outward expressions of life. Now, let's keep going here. Praise God. Um, is under, okay, so, uh, though he's master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, let's talk about this adoption thing for a moment, because we see the terminology used in Scripture that would communicate our being born of God and born of His seed and born of His Spirit. But then we also see terminology in Scripture that refers to our being sons of God, even if we're females, because we have been adopted by God. And so this leads a lot of people to be confused. You know, which one is it? Is it this or is it that? Well, again, this is not an either or, it's a both and situation. And let me explain to you why that would be the case. In their culture, in their culture, it was not uncommon for 
let's let's say the the patriarch of a family, you know, they have a lot of kids. Not, I'm not saying they don't love children, but they had a lot of kids because kids were free labor, right? And so they would also then go and adopt young men uh, into their family, not because they literally wanted them to be their sons or genuinely wanted them to be their sons, but they would adopt them because it would just be one more set of hands to go work, you know, in the family business, on the family farm, or, or whatever the case may be. And so the law then said that if a man was going to adopt a son, he would have to give that son equal status with his firstborn son. And the firstborn son would get the lion's share of the inheritance. So what this did then, it, it eliminated the disingenuine uh, adoptions. So when the Bible says that you've been born of God, not of blood, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God, born of his spirit, born of his seed. That is, again, a literal experience. But the same God who has made it possible for you to be born a second time of his seed, making you by birth his son, amen, we also see that he has equally adopted you, meaning he has given you firstborn status. This is why Romans 8 says that you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. This means that anything that Jesus is entitled to from the Father by way of blessing, by way of good things, even by way of reward, that you also are entitled to by covenant, by birth, by adoption, those same things. I believe, I believe personally this, this plays out in a practical way when the scriptures say that only God the Father knows when he's going to tell Jesus to come and get us. The Bible, Jesus said, I don't know that. Only my Father in heaven knows that. And I believe that this is so literal in the eyes of God that whatever is given to Jesus also has been given to you and me that father withheld when he's going to do that from Jesus because if he told Jesus as a co-heir with Jesus he would be obligated to tell you and me as well okay so this is serious business right here we read over these things and, and think well whatever you know uh, because you know of ignorance immaturity inability to speak on our own behalf and and we continue to experience life as slaves when we are ruling and reigning and should be ruling and reigning in life through the one Christ Jesus. Amen? Am I going too fast for you? All right. So we have been born of his spirit. We have been born from above. We have been born of his seed. And then we have also been given a spirit of adoption, making us an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus himself. Now, let's, um, let's do this. Let's go to John chapter 8. Other verses that we've been to before, but let's, let's go back to them. But this time, we're building some things and adding some things uh, because the Scriptures are multifaceted. The wisdom of God is multidimensional. Uh, I don't like the example, but some people refer to it like as an onion, multilayered. Um, there's, you know, no, no onion here, amen. But again, it is multifaceted, multidimensional, multilayered. Uh, and so we see here in John chapter 8, verse... Do what now? 
<laughs> We're the onion. There you go. Well said. All right. So John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, Thank you so much for your instructions, Jesus. We humbly submit to your lordship over our lives. Is that what they said? No. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So what's happening here? There's a lot that's gone on already because we're 31 verses into John chapter 8. By the time this is written and by the time this, this happens... And, and so there are some things that have gone down in the temple that the crowd watching, uh, you know, had some level of respect, some level of admiration for Jesus. And I think primarily because he stood up to the religious bullies that they all maybe felt some type of, you know, animosity towards. And so they, you know, the Bible says here that they believed him. This does not mean they were fully persuaded that he was the Messiah, nor does it mean that they received the gift of salvation, and that's where a lot of people get confused. They, they, had, they gave him credit for doing things they had never uh, you know, seen anybody else do, or at least do the way he did. Um, well, this, this threw me for many years uh, in, in my early walk with the Lord. I was like, well, if they believed, you know, but see, believed what? what they, just because they believed in what did they believe about it? You know, so who do men say that I am? All right, so I'm not trying to confuse you. We did a lot of teaching on this part of this verse already. But what basically is happening here is Jesus saw a crack in the door of their heart. And he is trying to coax them to open that door up a little wider by inviting them into making a deeper commitment to him and to what he came to do for them, in them, and through them. And so he says, he sees this crack in the door, right? And he says, hey, if you abide in my word, you, you will be my disciples in, indeed. And if you're my disciple indeed, then you'll know the truth, and knowing the truth will make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. So notice there's pridefulness here, right? We, we are biological descendants of the great Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Boy, pride will blind you, won't it? They were, in, they were enslaved by the Romans. They had been enslaved by the Syrians, by the Babylonians. I mean, it's like how many times do we need to look back on the history of these people to see how many times they had been in bondage to other nations and were when this was being spoken. But we're Abraham's descendants, never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, who do you think you are, suggesting that we need something else from you is, is basically their attitude. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, a son abides forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, how does the son make you free? He makes you free by making you a son. He makes you free by making you a son. I want to say that 15 more times. Did you, let me read it again. I want you to see it. Let the, let the Word of God speak deeply to you now, please. Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, the Bible says all have sinned. And so if all have sinned, then all are slaves to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, a son abides forever. 
a son abides forever. What if the son does something wrong? Is he still a son? Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, the, the part I think sometimes that we, we don't see in this and the, and the wrong assumption that we make is that somehow the son never does anything wrong or never makes a misstep or, or what have you. And that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying a slave doesn't abide in the father's house, but a son not only abides in the father's house, a son abides in the father's house forever. So if the son makes you free so that you'll no longer be a slave to sin, then you'll abide in the father's house forever. Even if you continue to make mistakes after he makes you a son. Getting quiet up in here. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So there's another theme here that we've talked about many times. Let me just remind you again. If he makes you free, this is talking about God making you something you could never make yourself. And if you've been born again, you are as free from sin right now as Jesus is right now and as Jesus ever has been right now. You, you are free from sin if you have been born again because he made you free from sin. Now, that's your born-again spirit. So we're going we're gonna to illustrate spirit, soul, and body like this, okay? Spirit, soul, body. The real you, the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses, and then your outward life reality, okay? So if the Son makes you free, people online would probably like to see me doing this, right? Spirit, soul, and body, all right? So if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed means your performed action, he makes you free, then if you will let him teach you how to live free, you will live free. And Jesus knew that the only way we could ever live free in our performed action is if he first made us free men and women. Amen. 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 We see it again in, in, in uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, 29, and 30. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you labor heavy laden, and what, what will he do? Right? I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. New King James Version says learn from me. We're going to be talking about the service some more tonight. But there's one thing to learn from somebody. It's another thing to learn about somebody. It's another thing to learn of them. When you learn of them, and that's what Jesus, that's the correct translation. New King James kind of dropped the ball here. King James says, learn of me. How do we know, how do we know that's the correct uh, word that goes here? Because he then follows that with key characteristics about his, per, his person, his nature, his character. For I am gentle and lowly. He's wanting you to learn about him and who he is and who he really, what he's really like. Amen. But then what does he say? And you will find rest for your souls. So what's the pattern? Come and I'll give, learn and you will discover. Learn and you will find. Come and I'll give, come and I'll make. Learn and you'll find. Learn and you'll discover. So he gives you rest when you come. Rest is a four-letter word that basically covers everything that Jesus came to do for us. Okay, He gives you rest when you come to him, but you've got to yoke up together with him and do life together with Jesus and let him teach you how to live free. Let him teach you how to live righteously. Let him teach you how to uh, experience rest no matter what's going on in the world around you. So are you, are you seeing the pattern here? This is so important. And people think, well, you know, 
I'm, I'm only loved by God if, if, I'm, if I don't ever make a mistake. But if I make a mistake, then, you know, uh, I've sinned and I'm an outsider again. No, a son abides in the Father's house forever. Alongside this, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you through the new birth, he will live in you forever. He doesn't leave you when you make a mistake. That's why we have to be aware of him in us and let him help us. Let him show us a way out when we're tempted. Let him show us the way of escape from the corruption that's in this world because of men's lust. Because when we drag the Holy Spirit into places that we have no business being, the Bible says it grieves him, but he, he doesn't leave you. All right, now. We've talked a lot about the we've talked a lot about salvation and the new birth, and we've said that you know these words are related and connected. But you know what what is the underpinning? What, where do we see the combining of these things? And let's go now to begin to unravel that in First Peter chapter one and verse number three. First Peter chapter one and verse number three. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So I've been saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. Remember, our problems went deeper than our behavior, and they went deeper than our thinking. They went all the way down to the very seed that produced us. That's why you must be born again. And if you have been born again, you have, you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Well... I had brown eyes before I was born again, had brown eyes afterwards. Because it wasn't my body that was born again. That part of me was born of water. The part that was born of the Spirit is who I really am. It's the part of me that will live forever with God in heaven one day, even coming back to this earth for a while. Amen. It's going to be a good time. Now, let's, let's kind of start weaving some things together here. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again. That's talking about our being born a second time. Has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Now, he's talking about our being born again to a living hope. A living hope means... A, a, an, an expectation, a confident looking forward. Sometimes at Heritage, we ask this question. Let me ask you tonight. Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word wait upon, the more accurate translation would be those who expect upon the Lord will pass to power. That's the literal translation there. We hear waiting and we think sitting around twiddling our thumbs, you know, on our smartphones waiting to be... No, the, the idea behind waiting is there's expectation. If, if you're in the waiting room and your appointment's at 2 o'clock, the closer it gets to 2 o'clock, the greater the expectation you have that the next person called is going to be you. And if it goes to 2.05, the expectation you know, doesn't go down the drain like bath water. It only gets more heightened, right? And it's five after now. Surely I'm, there's the expectation increases. Amen. So he says those, again, those who 
Expect upon God will pass to power. Expectation. And we've been born again, begotten again, to a living expectation, a living, confident expectation. And that's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, we know that he was raised from the dead. And we know that because he died on the cross for our sins, that somehow has enabled us to be saved because he, after all, saved us from our sins, right? Yes, he did save you from your sin, but he saved you from more than that, right? So do you see how if we only have a limited understanding of these things, you know, it it affects our ability to, to put the other pieces together to see the full picture. So let me give you this same verse from the Passion Translation. It says, celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us His extravagant mercy. For His fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we've been born again through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We've been born again. We receive, being born again, receiving salvation, right, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, let's look a little closer. Colossians chapter 1. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 now, and we'll begin at verse number 15. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15. Praise God. All right, this is speaking of Jesus. And it says of Jesus that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. For by Him all things were created. I'm sorry, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, there is a lot here in these verses we could teach for a long time on everything that's being covered here. I want to point out to you what we already see in John's gospel, and that is Jesus is as much God as God the Father and as much God as God the Holy Spirit, that nothing that was made that we see and and experience was made without Jesus, right? And so we celebrate him coming to the earth as a human being at Christmas time, but he is without beginning and without ending, just like God the Father is without beginning and without ending, just like the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is without beginning and without ending. Now, we also see in verse 17 that in Jesus all things consist. In him all things consist. The literal translation of that phrase is... Jesus is the glue that holds all things together. Jesus is the glue that holds all things together. What happens if glue is holding something together and you can somehow push the glue out of it? If you push the glue that holds all things together out, then guess what's going to happen to the thing? It's going to fall apart, right? It's going to fall apart. And it's what we're seeing in our world right now. The more this world pushes Jesus away, the more we see things falling apart in this world. Amen. Now, I could go on and on about this, 
Anybody remember those of us who were around in school during the time when we had prayer in school? Yes. We remember all the things we prayed for every morning. We prayed for our government. We prayed for our teachers. We prayed for our families. We prayed all, all these things. It was it was my uh, my teacher uh, when all that. And thank God for Alabama. You know, I mean, it's a lot of the things that that were already being enforced in other places around the country. You know, still, you know, praying in football games and that sort of thing. And, and so, thank thankful for that. And um, it, but when that ruling came down, uh, Miss Aldrich, uh, we prayed. You know, every morning, but it really you know chapped her hide. And so that particular morning, I remember, she said, "Not only are we going to pray today," she says, "Today." I want every one of you to get out of your desk and get on your knees. And we, it was, we, <laughs> and, and we did. I mean, we did. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And so, but I don't think it's, you know, some people say it's way oversimplified. But think of the millions of children in this country praying for our government, praying for our leaders, praying for our nation, praying for protection, praying for our, our, our education system, praying for uh, themselves, you know, all of a sudden that being shut off, that being, you know, the, the giant wheel of all that being, being, being turned and shut down. So again, Jesus being pushed out, Jesus being pushed out. I understand people say, you know, all, as long as there's tests in school, there'll be prayer in school. I got that. Okay. But again, it's, it's, you can track it, go back and look at what started unraveling you know, when, you know, the idea was we need, these kids need to stop praying every day. So it's just a simple way of, of illustrating. He's the glue that holds it all together. Uh, if you push him out of your life, your life will fall apart. If you push him out of your family, your family will fall apart. If you push him out of your marriage, your marriage will, uh, 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 But what happens if we, if we give him place in our lives? See, not only does he, is he the glue that holds it all together, he, he makes sense of it all. But now, there's a lot that we could say about all these verses. The firstborn, though, verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So now it's just we see that his resurrection was at the same time a birthing, that he wasn't just raised from the dead, but that he was birthed from death. He was birthed from death. Amen. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Anybody, uh, anybody remember what our status was before we were born again? <laughs> we were dead, right? We were dead. <laughs> Amen. It, like a cell phone that has no uh, battery power left and, and or no longer connected to the tower, no, no longer receiving a signal. We say the phone's dead. My phone's dead. It can have plenty of juice, but it's, it's not connected to the tower. Or it can be connected to the tower, but we don't have any battery, and we say, my phone's dead. Well, our spirits were dead. doesn't mean they didn't exist. It means that they had lost their source of power, and they were no longer connected to the to, uh They lost their source of power, and they lost their connection to the tower. We were not no longer receiving the signal. Now, let me show you two verses, and I think it's going to be obvious the reason we're looking at these two verses. John 3.16 I probably should have put them on the same slide, but it's, it's a lot. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So obviously I'm, I'm emphasizing only begotten. 
Now, look at this in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be, what, firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he's also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So what are we trying to uh, illustrate or the point that we're trying to make by showing these two verses back to back is that Jesus, before his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to Father's right hand, was the only begotten Son of God. But now he is referred to not as the only begotten, but as the firstborn, the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. You realize there's a big difference between the only one and the firstborn. Amen. Because we know now that he has led many sons to glory. All right. Praise God. A little after six. We've still got about 40 minutes. Can you hang in here with me? I know you will. I'm just, uh, amen. I'm trying to consider what we have time left to cover. Let's, let's do this now. It's very important. It's very important. And the, and the title of this section is Identifying with the Completed Work of Jesus. Identifying with the Completed Work of Jesus. One more time. Identifying with the completed work of Jesus. It's one thing to receive a new identity because you have now been born again and are in Christ, but it's another thing for you to personally identify with what Jesus has done for you and has done as you. So when we say identifying with the completed work of Jesus, we often hear fans of sports teams talk about what we won we won the championship. We won that game. We won that tournament. And we haven't left the sofa, right? We, we just are sitting there, uh, you know, uh, watching it and cheering and rooting. But notice how we identify with our team by using the terminology, we won it. We are the champions. We are this, okay? And that is a limited way for us to, you know, connect with what I'm talking about here. But in, in this, I don't want to minimize it. In other words, <laughs> what I want you to see is that this isn't you and me sitting on the sofa while Jesus does the heavy lifting and us just some, you know, somehow disconnected uh, identifying with it. No, I'm talking about literally identifying with the completed work of Jesus. Now, as it relates to um, the completed work of Jesus, as it relates to the completed work of Jesus, we're talking about five specific things, five specific things, five specific categories of things, if you want to say it that way, because it's broad and sweeping. I'm not trying to limit it. I'm just trying to help paint a picture for you, okay? There are five distinct things that Jesus has done for you when he came to this earth as your substitute. And here are those five things, and this will become the list of things that we're going to try and cover in the time that we have remaining. First of all, we see Jesus' sinless life. So his sinless life. Then, number two, part of his completed work was his death on the cross. It's very easy to skip over number three and just go straight to number four. Number three is his burial, and number four is his resurrection. And we'll explain it when we get there. But Jesus didn't just die for you. Jesus was buried for you. He did that for you. And then his resurrection, and then finally his ascension. 
Ascension means to go up. He ascended to the throne of the universe. And he did it for you and he did it as you. There is a man in a glorified body sitting on the throne of the universe this evening. And his name is Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. He still has a body. He still has the scars in his hands and feet that he bore for you and me, a glorified body, just like the one that we will one day have. So let's talk about it. His sinless life, his sinless life. When we could not live a sinless life, Jesus came as your substitute and lived a sinless life for you and has now, because we are in Christ, given you credit for living your entire life without sin. Remember, to be given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus means more, it means more than just being forgiven for your sin. Jesus' standard of righteousness was one who lived on this earth but never sinned. So when Father sees you and me as being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, He doesn't look at you as a sinner who's been forgiven, but He looks at you as one who has never sinned. Jesus lived a sinless life for you and for me. See, Satan... Satan hates this. Satan hates this. And I listen, I, there, and maybe I should probably do it because, you know, you, you could almost do like 1A and 1B, uh, and that is his supernatural birth, right? I mean, he, he was his supernatural birth, but we, we've talked about why that's an important thing for people to believe, and there are many in our world today who say that's intellectually offensive to people, blah, blah, blah. But if he, was, if he was born of Joseph's seed, then he was in the same boat that we were all in, and his blood was powerless to do anything about our sin. In order for, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in order for Father God to balance the eternal scales of justice, He had to find someone to punish for our sin who was more undeserving of the punishment than we were all deserving of it. And that was our now big brother Jesus. He did that for you and for me. So He lived a sinless life. Let's just look at a few verses that relate to that. Hebrews chapter 4 in verse number 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he made him, God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yeah. He knew no sin. But Father God allowed him to be made our sin so that we could be made his righteousness. It's the great substitute. It's, it's the great exchange. Maybe, and these, these are big, the big word like mayonnaise, you hear this maybe sometimes, the substitutionary work of Jesus. It just simply means that he came and did for us 
as us what we could not do for ourselves and then gave us the opportunity to be born from the dead after him, being born into him, amen, so that now everything that is true of him is now true of you and me. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Romans chapter 8, and we'll look through verse 4. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. If you read it tomorrow, it will say yesterday. There, it won't say yesterday. It'll say now. Are you with me? If you read it six years from today, it'll still say, There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, sin, God did what the law could not do. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to consider something here that you may not have considered before, okay? And that is, Jesus coming to this earth as a man and living a sinless life took away the only excuse that any of us would have ever had standing before God one day. And what's that excuse? It's impossible for God. It's unfair, God. There's no way a man could live on this earth and not sin. Well, Jesus did it, which put him in the position to condemn us should he have chosen to do that. And he goes on in Romans 8, and he talks about that. That the who can lay a charge against God's elect? Who's qualified to bring accusation or to, who, or to file charges uh, or to pass judgment? Because the only one qualified to bring judgment against us is actually our advocate, our attorney, our mediator. And is the one who already paid the, the, the penalty for our crime on our behalf. So there's no one left to even bring a legitimate charge against us. Man, that's, that's exciting to me right there. All right, all right let's keep trucking along. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this each time because I want you to become familiar with all of these. So we talk about identifying with the completed work of Jesus. The first thing we're talking about is his, is his sinless life. The second thing is his death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross. All of these things working together have provided for our salvation, our ability to be born again. So the next thing we see that Jesus did for you and he also did as you. Amen. He didn't just do it for you. He did it as you. He did it as your substitute. Amen. Was he died on the cross. Galatians chapter 2 verses 19 through 21 says this, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What is he saying? He's saying that if he could have ever done good enough 
through his own religious efforts, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to come for us. But we see that, and, and I want to talk more about that. Maybe we will in some of the days ahead. But let, let's go back to, because we, we've said this much before. Remember, the law that came from God through Moses to God's people, chosen people, the Jews, it was an external standard of, of, of righteousness and expectations that the people could never live up to. We, we could never live up to it. And, and even if we could live up to it, what are we going to do about all the times that we didn't working so hard to finally be able to live up to it? So we, we were in trouble. And we were, we were separated from God and we had no way to ever be in right fellowship with Him ever again. But thank God Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I want you to notice, though, here how the Holy Spirit, in, you know, through the Word of God, is, is instructing us to understand this. Paul is not just saying that Jesus died with him, but he's saying that he was crucified with Christ. That when Jesus died, he died too. That when Jesus was nailed to the cross, that he also was nailed to the cross. That he died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Are you seeing this? He didn't just die for you. He died as you. And when he died, you died with him. You say, how, how is that possible? Let's go back to the power of seed, right? The power of seed. Where were we when, uh, when Adam sinned? We were in Adam. When Adam sinned, it was his disobedience that made us all sinners. Well, now we're in Christ. It wasn't your sin that made you a sinner. And it's not your obedience that made you righteous. It was Adam's sin that made us all sinners. And it was Jesus' obedience that has now made those who have called upon his name that has now made us right. How, how is that possible? It's because when, when he lived a sinless life, we lived one in him. We were in him when he was doing all those things. We think, why in the world are we going to be rewarded for things that Jesus did? It's because we were in Jesus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We were in Jesus when Jesus uh, fed all those hungry people. Feel like I'm losing some of you, man. It just keeps it just keeps getting gooder and gooder, y'all. I'm just telling you. And the half hadn't been told of it yet. He means I had somebody tell me one time, and it's a long story, I won't go into all of it, but but listen, if if I'm making God out to be better than he is, I will gladly apologize to him when I stand before him one day. I'll gladly say, Man, you know, God, I'm sorry, I I, I thought you were better than that. But those words aren't ever coming out of anybody's mouth, right? Because the half has not yet been told of the abundance of his, of his grace and of His mercy and of His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If He died for us while we were yet sinners, amen, how much more now will we be saved by His life? Well, those verses are to come. So notice what he says here. I, I, I do not set aside the grace of God. When he, so set, this is the opposite of identifying with. To set it aside is to make it a non-factor in, in your life where, where you just continue to consider yourself and see yourself as the person you were before you were born again. That's to set aside the grace of God, to act as if the grace of God has not made all of this difference in your life. All right, how about this one? Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you were... If you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are uh, above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. Do you see this now? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear also will appear with him in glory. Man. Man, you died. Let's go back to it now. <laughs> Spirit, soul, body. What part of us died with Jesus? Spirit. Spirit. Where was your old sin nature? In your spirit. It left some residue on our soul when it moved out, right? Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah. When, when, when uh, Pam and I have had some rental properties over the years, you know, that people rented from us, and people always tend to leave some stuff behind when they move out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when that old spirit moved out, he, he, he left a little residue on the walls. He let, you know, but that's the, the walls meaning the soul, right? Because the soul, spirit, soul, left some imprint on the soul, left some imprint on our thinking, but when that spirit was crucified with Jesus, that's when you died. Your soul didn't die. Your body didn't die. That's when your spirit died. Your spirit died with him. Oh, sweet Jesus, I wanted you to see this so much. Listen, I know sometimes we sit here and it's almost like, you know, we see little puffs of smoke coming out of our ears. Our brains are trying so hard to, 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 to grasp this and understand this. It's, it's with the heart. It's with the heart. Man believeth. Are you with me? Yes. Trying to, I'm trying to... Holy Spirit is, is speaking to us, to our hearts tonight, not just to our heads, not just to our intellect, not just to our, our ability to, to uh, you know, logically, rationally put two and two together. I'm talking about what He did for you. So one more time. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears... You, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's go now to Romans 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. Romans 6, 1, 2, and 3. Amen. Can you hang in here with me a few more minutes? All right. It says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Anybody remember us talking about this a little earlier in Galatians chapter 3? So we talked about what the people who were baptized with the baptism of Moses, what they experienced, what they went through. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground with the waters on either side of them. And that experience marked them. Amen. What have we been through? Amen. We, we were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Him. Amen. And this baptism into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death. Okay? So now, this brings us back to the list. The completed work of Jesus. Number one, His sinless life. He did it for you as you. His death on the cross. You were, Christ, you were crucified together with Him. Nevertheless, we live. His burial. His 
his burial. That's the number three, his burial. Why is, why is that important? Well, I told you a couple of weeks back, and I want to just remind you again that there is no such thing as two natures. We had a sin nature when we were born again of a different seed because seed determines nature. God then put a new nature in us, put His nature in us. We have now become partakers of the divine nature. So if this is the case, what happened to our old nature? Our old nature was buried with Christ. I like to say it this way, buried in an unmarked grave. When the U.S. military finally brought justice to Osama bin Laden, they buried him somewhere at sea because they did not want there to be a grave site for radicals to visit and be inspired by and rally around and all these other things. In other words, they didn't want anybody to know where his body was buried. Okay? So when I say your old nature was buried in an unmarked grave, it's because God doesn't want you to go visit that grave. Amen. It's over. It's not a rallying cry. It's not a, it's not a place for us to go back on the anniversary of whatever. And no. No, 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 a thousand times no. So here it is in Romans 6 and 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you probably already figured out, or I guess I showed you the list at the beginning, didn't I? That number four is his resurrection. Now, Sunday week, we'll celebrate Easter. Birthday. Happy birthday. Amen. And if you don't know this already, I pray that you will know it and learn it and understand it tonight and therefore never celebrate Easter the same again. And that is we are not just celebrating Jesus' resurrection Sunday week. We're celebrating our own because we were raised together with him to newness of life. Romans 6, 5, and 7. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, if you're taking notes, write this word down. You ready? Reckon. Amen. Do you see that? Reckon. That wasn't just me and my southern English. I'm reading from the scriptures here. 
right? Reckon. What is he saying? He's saying in light of all of these things that you're being that are being revealed to you right now, what are we to do with this? We're to reckon ourselves to have died and to be indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it's not a trick question. It's not a trick question, okay? But of the three dimensions that make up your existence, spirit, soul, and body, what part of you does the reckoning? All right. All right. Soul is it. Mind. And mind is part of the soul, right? So notice what he's saying here. He's saying all this is what's true about you if you've been born again. So reckon yourself to have died to sin. Reckon yourself. Consider yourself. See yourself. Think of yourself in light of what is already true about you in your born again spirit. Reckon your old man to have been buried with Jesus along with his nature, along with his, uh, uh, even, I know this, sometimes people, you know, say things like, well, you know, that runs in my family. Breast cancer runs in my family. High blood pressure runs in my family. You got a new family now. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Mark, I, I, I think you may be taking a little too far. No, we, ha- we haven't gone anywhere near far enough yet. If we cross the line, the Holy Spirit will put the brakes on us. But we, he, He'll tap our brakes. We haven't gone far enough yet as to what's true about you and me right now. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So what did Jesus say in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26? He says, uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, um, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's not talking about your physical body. He's talking about your born again spirit. All right. Now, here is the fifth one. I know some of you, maybe I've lost you a few minutes ago. Try to get tuned back in, please. Please, please, please. Let, let, me, let me tell you, what, let me tell you what's, what's going on right now. With, not everybody, but some of you. Okay, let me know what's going on right now. Is the, the, more, the more we progress through this list, the closer we're getting to the part that terrorizes the devil and terrifies him the most. Okay? And that's, and that's this fifth part. And this is Jesus' ascension. What does that mean, Ascension. Remember, Jesus was raised from the dead. He went and poured his blood out on the altar in heaven. Then he came back to the earth in a glorified body. People hugged him. He ate food with them. And then he walked through a wall. Okay? Giving you and me a glimpse, giving you and me a glimpse of the type body that we will one day have in eternity. Amen. And then the Bible says that he was seen by many witnesses for the next 40 days. It's pretty important, right? It wasn't like, hi, bye, I'm out of here. And then he, in the presence of those that were there, disciples, what have you, 
he ascends. Literally, they watch him go up. My daughter was young when she went on her first missions trip. She went to South Africa. And Pam and I watched the plane take off, and we just watched it and watched it and watched it until it disappeared. And for whatever reason, we were still, you know, sitting there kind of praying in the tongues under our breath. We were still kind of staring at the last spot that we saw that plane in the sky when we realized, all right, this, yeah, let's, we, we get on back to the car now, right? Well, that's what the disciples were doing. They were standing there staring up at the sky at the last spot they saw Jesus. And the angel of the Lord said, hey, what are y'all doing? He's, he's going to return one day in the same way you saw him leave. Okay, but we've got some work to do. Let's go get about it, right? Okay. Now, here's the thing, though. Ephesians chapter 2. You man of God enough, woman of God enough to embrace this? You'll change your world if you do. So, notice now, we're seeing a combination of things. There is reference to all of what we've just looked at in these verses. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once, past tense, conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, were past tense, were by nature, past nature, past tense nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But God, come on now, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's go all the way back. I know, I know most of you weren't even here when we talked about this. We have mentioned it a time or two since then. Jesus explained to Nicodemus that no one has ascended to the Father. No one has ascended, I'm sorry, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Nicodemus staring and looking at him like, you lost your mind, what are you saying? What was Jesus saying? He was saying, Nicodemus, you see me standing here, but while you see me standing here, what you don't understand is that I'm standing here, but I'm also seated there. Amen. I'm here and I'm there at the same time. Or let me say it another way. He's touching two worlds simultaneously. Touching two worlds simultaneously. Now, 
The significance of that is we are now in that same position. Because when Jesus ascended to the throne of the universe, the Bible now says that you are seated together with Him far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, both in this age and the age that is to come. Come on now, we got to get this. That's, that, positionally, that's where you are. Things that the devil tries to torment you with, they are under your feet. They are beneath you. Seated together with him. Amen? Amen. There's, a, there's, a, there's a name for this doctrine. Okay? In other words, you, you call this doctrine something. You ready? It's called salvation. This is what it means to be saved. When you couldn't live a sinless life, Jesus lived one for you. When you deserved to die for your sins, He died in your place and you died with Him. You were buried with Him. You were raised up together with Him in newness of life. And now you're seated together with Him in the heavenly places. That's salvation. That's salvation. That's what it means to be a saved man or a woman. And when, listen now, you may have never heard any of this until to, or all of this until tonight, but watch this now. When you were born again, let me tell you what happened. You received for yourself what Jesus did for you as your substitute. Amen. That's what you... You received it for yourself. Amen? Amen. All right, let me tell you where we're going to be next week. We're going to talk about what I call four levels of salvation terminology, right? And that may sound like a really fancy term, but there are certain words that we find in the Scriptures that communicate to us key parts or key elements, I should say, of our salvation. Now, before we started this, now four full classes ago, Understanding the new birth. Remember what we said. We said a lot of people have been born again. Very few know what happened to them when they were. Okay? And so you know more about it now, right? We're seeing it more clearly now. Notice the confidence now that we have. See, the devil always wants you questioning. The devil always wants you wondering. The devil always wants you, you know, to, to doubt your salvation and question whether or not you're saved and, and, and you know, worried about whether or not you're going to go to heaven one day. You're, you're, you're already in heaven. You're already there. You're already seated with him in the heavenly places. Well, you know, I'm just trying to stay saved. You know, I just want to make sure I go to heaven one day. <laughs> You're already there. So there's all these words. Let me give you a few of them. Redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? We, we, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Okay, so what? You know, so what does it mean? How about this one? Propitiation. You ever heard that word in the Bible? It's a, it's, it's a fundamental word that goes to communicate key elements of your salvation. <coughs> Justification is another one. What does it mean to be justified? We've been justified. What does that mean? I mean, if, if, if this is something that has, has happened to us, then, then we need to understand what it means to be justified so that we can, we can benefit from it. 
Spoiler alert, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. It means, it means to be made righteous. It has a root word, uh, diacrino, or have you say that in the original language? Um, it, it's, it's roots all the way back to the words righteous, and same root word that's translated righteous is translated justified, justification. But now why is that important? Well, how about this one? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes the power of God available in its working. See, there are all kinds of things that apply to those who are righteous, but because people think their righteousness is based upon their performance, they don't think they qualify. Are you, are you seeing this? Okay. So, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to work our way through that list uh, next week. And, and uh, we're trying our best... I don't want to say leaving no verse unturned because there are, are other verses that we have not taken the time to turn to. But I want to give you as comprehensive as, uh, as comprehensive an understanding of what it means to be born again as, as we can possibly do in you know five, five and a half classes. Uh, amen? amen? All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for... Um, what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your love and for your goodness, for your power and your grace and your mercy. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what it now means to our lives. Father, thank you for helping us uh, embrace these truths and identify with them. Identify with them. A sinless life. We died with Jesus, buried with him, raised with him, seated with him, living the life that he created us to live, ministering to those and helping those that you've put in our paths, Lord, to minister to, equipping us, Father, to cast out devils, speak with new tongues, lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. amen. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. I pray that you're blessed. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday, if not before. Good things coming.